So, when we talk about hell in this episode, I'm probably gonna get too technical for some, and I probably won't get technical enough for others. But honestly, if I wanted to make everyone happy, I would just open a candy store instead of doing these episodes. It'd be a lot easier and a little sweeter. But I do think this discussion is important because what we believe about hell both shapes and reveals what we believe about God. exciting that is i have a question for you okay oh so what about just what about these winter olympics coming up i'm really excited are you, are you yeah. really excited yeah so what about chocolate on valentine's day like it's played out or it's actually cool if you didn't know we are in the middle of our so what about series which is why aaron thinks this call. joke is funny every week yeah <laughs> Well, no, I'm, we're doing the hosting thing. Oh, it's my friend, John. He wants to know, what do you think about the overtime rules in NFL football? He's like, oh. he and I are in agreement about this. Just yes, It's a that fiasco. Is a, that is also so what an, about that? It's an important debate. I'll call you back. Uh, so okay. we are in the middle yeah, of our fine. So What About series. This is Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, yeah. Together for Salem. I am Monica. This is Aaron. Mm -hmm. Aaron is the comedic. Uh, I think I'm funny. Part of you this. You be the judge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're so glad you decided to watch, or maybe you're listening on the podcast. What's up, podcasters? And we just want to let you know that we're glad you're here. And you can let us know that you're here, mm -hmm. watching, listening, by using the welcome form on our website. If you don't like forms and you want to just send us an email, you can do that at info at yourcrossgreek.com. Yes. And just say, hi, guys. And let us know that you're watching, and we'll send you a treat. Yes. Yeah. You can also ask questions or ask for prayer, all those things. But... We don't want to take any more of your time because we know you're really excited about this one. Yeah. We've been excited. There's been a buzz. There's been a buzz a buzz. There's been a buzz about. Yeah. So John's going to talk about the three views of hell. Mm -hmm. And if you're a Jesus follower, you might think, oh, hell, we, oh, hell, we got this <laughs> oh, figured hell. out. I know uh, what that's but about. this is an important thing to uh, discover, yeah. think about, think question about. maybe. So we hope you find this content uh, interesting mm -hmm. and thought-provoking. And there will we be did. we and did. Well. There will be questions at the end of the whole end of this episode to discuss with your your people or your connect group or whatever. Mm. Uh, but we're gonna come back on the other side too with some announcements. Yes. So here's Sean. What do you believe about hell? Why do you believe that about hell? That is what we're going to talk about. See, here's the thing. Hell is a big deal because the idea of hell affects each of us personally. And it really is one of the most difficult questions of Christianity. Maybe you or a friend or a family member has said something like, I just can't believe in a God who would send people to burn in torment forever. I think that's a fair feeling. Uh, the idea of hell is difficult because it often creates guilt 
for Jesus followers because maybe you have have someone that you love that you really never shared the gospel with and, and they died and you kind of feel guilty like maybe they're in hell and it's your fault. It creates fear, not just for people who, who might go there, but even Jesus followers because they might have a family member who, who died doubting. My uncle was like a notorious deep thinking doubter and he died in the last year and you know, I don't know where he stood with Jesus. Even my, my grandparents were more the cultural Christians than the like personal Jesus followers. And so there's that question for me. Now, I think we need to look into this because as we said in the first episode, we all have beliefs, but most of us rarely question why we believe what we believe. And we also said a belief that can't hold up to questioning isn't worth holding on to. So what I want to do is give all of us permission, give all of us an opportunity really to think differently, to investigate, to explore this idea of hell, to actually use our biblical writings, use our mind, and yes, even use our hearts to explore the idea of hell. And so a few things first, what we are discussing, this question of hell, it's a question that we don't really know an answer for, for sure. There's not like a time where Jesus said, hey, guys, write this down in the Bible. This is exactly what hell's all about. We don't have that. And pers honestly, personally, this hell idea is something I'm still working through, and I probably will the rest of my life. And that's okay, because some of the questions we ask aren't meant to be perfectly answered. If they were, like I said, we'd have our little list of things we're supposed to know perfectly. With this hell thing, it's interesting. This could be like a huge dividing thing for churches, but at Cross Creek, it's not. It's not gonna be because we believe that we can disagree and still be in the same family. This idea of hell is not a make or break issue. And what I'm gonna lay out is not going to be an official Cross Creek community church position. First of all, me doing that would be dumb because I can't speak for all of us. We are a community of diverse opinions, and that is good. So when we talk about hell in this episode, I'm probably going to get too technical for some, and I probably won't get technical enough for others. But honestly, if I wanted to make everyone happy, I would just open a candy store instead of doing these episodes. It'd be a lot easier and a little sweeter. But I do think this discussion is important because what we believe about hell both shapes and reveals what we believe about God. And you'll see what I'm talking about in a little bit, I think. So first, let's just lay the groundwork of hell. Jesus and the New Testament writers all did talk about hell as if it's a real place. So, bad news, hell is real. There really doesn't seem to be a lot of wiggle room with that. Hell is a real place, according to Jesus. And he kind of is, you know, the one who died and rose again, predicted it, pulled it off, and is kind of our authority. So there's not a lot of wiggle room if hell's real or not. It is. But the real question isn't, is, isn't, is hell real? The real question is, if God loves us, using our framework, if God loves us, what's the purpose of hell? What is it really? And now this might surprise you, because when answering that question, there's actually at least three views that intelligent, loving, 
faithful and thoughtful Jesus followers hold to. And all of these views were taught and believed and held to in the first four to five centuries of Christianity. And so what I want to do is try to give a quick overview of, of the arguments for and against these three main views of traditionalism, conditional immortality, and Christian universalism. And so we're going to start with traditionalism. It's the one we most know. It's this. Our eternity will either be with God in the new heaven and earth or separated from God in hell for eternity. And so the idea is we, we all are born with a sinful nature and we're all headed for an eternity in hell because of the sin that we were born with and that we choose to commit. But God loves us so much that he offered a way to be saved, not by doing a bunch of good stuff, but by, but by placing our faith and our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. And so this is the one we mostly know. So I want to push the boundaries since this is like the best known cultural idea of hell. Now, here's a surprise for a lot of us. Traditionalism never actually had universal acceptance in Christianity. In fact, it's not always been the majority view of hell. In fact, it didn't even become the dominant view in the West until Augustine, you might St. Augustine, around 400 AD. And because of him, it became the accepted view of the Catholic Church, which is why it's so influenced Western Christianity. So where does, the, where does this traditional idea come from? Well, does it come from the biblical writings? Maybe. So what I want to do is look at two places where Jesus might be talking about hell. The first one is in Jesus' story about the sheep and the goats, when he says he's going to come back and judge people and separate the sheep, you know, his people, from the goats, not his people. And he ends that conversation like this. And they, humans, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Cut and dried, right? Simple, right there. Obviously, either we have eternal life or eternal punishment, right? Not so fast, champ. So first, this is the only passage in the New Testament that uses the phrase eternal punishment. And when we look at that word eternal in the Greek, the word is ionius. And the more general meaning for that word is enduring or, or long-lasting. And it can also mean pertaining to the future age. All of those meanings for this passage were held by church leaders who were the closest, who lived closest to the writing of the New Testament, and that biblical Greek was their first language, and all those meanings were held by different leaders. And so this, this eternal life that we see Jesus talking about and this eternal punishment that we see Jesus talking about, they may both be long-lasting, but why couldn't? the life be lasting longer. It'd be like somebody saying, well, this man is going to jail for a long time, while this other man is going to be living free for a long time. One, they both say the same thing, but both could mean, or one could actually be longer than the other. Now, if that word eternal, Ionius, if it actually means pertaining to the future age, that means that the eternal life we see there 
is not necessarily describing length, but the type of life, the life of the age to come, which could be endless. And then the eternal punishment would be punishment of the age to come, which could be limited. And then another issue is when we see the word punishment in the Bible, in the biblical writings, punishment is usually about correction and, and chastisement, not endless torture that goes on and on forever. So there are some, some issues in taking that passage and just saying it means eternal hell forever. Another passage that seems very clear is this. This is Jesus talking. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. Whew! There you go, right? Super clear. Cut your hand off so you don't go to hell. Here's the deal with that. Many scholars believe Jesus is not talking about eternity, but he's warning a specific group of people about a coming earthly judgment against the people of Jerusalem. A judgment that actually happened when Rome destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. Why do they believe that? Because Jesus is directly quoting the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, who was warning Israel about the Babylonians coming and judging and destroying Jerusalem in 586 BC. So what Jesus is saying is, to these people, if you don't repent, your bodies will be thrown into hell, just like your ancestors were before. And you're like, what? Well, the word for hell is Gehenna. Gehenna was an actual place that these people in Jerusalem could see and knew about. It's called the Valley of Hinnom, where ancient Israelites worshiped the god Moloch, and it was turned into a garbage dump, where there are always fires that were continually burning up the refuse and the garbage. And so it's saying it would be shameful for in the Jewish custom for your body, after your Jerusalem is conquered, to be thrown into the garbage dump and, and burn there. It'd be shameful. It's an honor-shame society. And so you would be forever shamed because your body was burned there. And another point is when it says unquenchable fire, that unquenchable word doesn't mean forever. It means unstoppable. Jesus is saying these people are facing a judgment that they won't be able to do anything about. They won't be able to stop if they don't repent and believe. And then it also says where, uh, if you drop down, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Well, it doesn't say that the soul is burned forever. It just says that these maggots are always in the garbage dump eating bodies. The maggots never die. I'm not talking about human souls. See, we've put a lot of traditional assumptions onto what Jesus said here. And you might be asking, well, what about like the verses in Revelation, right? The lake of fire and stuff. Revelation is a notoriously difficult book to understand and, and interpret. It's, an, it's called apocalyptic literature. It's a genre that we don't even use anymore for writing. And so it's really not safe to make theological foundations based on allegory, hyperbole, and symbolism that we're not even really sure exactly what that means. And so there's, there are some philosophical arguments for the traditional, the traditional view. The idea that, you know, well, if, since our souls are immortal, we have to spend eternity somewhere, right? So the immortal soul either goes to heaven or goes to hell. I mean, what do you do with an immortal soul? Problem with that, the immortal soul, the idea that the soul is immortal, is a Greek belief. It doesn't really come from the biblical writings. So is the idea of, of Hades and the idea that there is a, a god-like 
person who, who rules the underworld. That is not from the biblical writings. That's from Greek mythology. Interestingly, St. Augustine was heavily influenced by the Greek philosophers. Well, another thing. Well, sinners and, and sin must be punished in order for God to actually be a just king, right? Sin has to be punished. Then what's the point of Jesus? That's the whole point, right? That Jesus brought forgiveness and took the punishment for us. Sin has been punished through Jesus' death on the cross. So there are some arguments against this view also. It's this. If hell is eternal, right? People are forever in hell, burning, angry at God, re rebelling against God. They deserve to be there. Then evil is never fully defeated and conquered, is it? That means evil and sin and rebellion against God last forever somewhere in God's creation. He's never fully victorious, leading to this also. If hell is eternal and people go there forever, then Jesus himself is not ever fully victorious because, he, according to this view, the majority of humanity from the history of the world is in hell, lost and tormented, right? You get that picture of little Jesus kind of being like, well, I got a few of you, so I win. No. If Jesus is going to be victorious, then souls burning forever doesn't seem like a victory, does it? And third, why would Jesus tell us to forgive our enemies if he refuses to do it for all eternity? Some interesting things to think through. And so that leads us to option number two. Conditional immortality, or what we call annihilationism. Either we spend eternity with God in the new heaven and earth, or ultimately we cease to exist. Where eternal life is a gift, a reward of God given th through faith in Jesus because he loves us. But if we refuse that gift, we don't receive the gift of immortality. We don't get eternal life and are punished according to our sinfulness and eventually die the second death by being annihilated forever. We just cease to exist. This idea actually has some traction because of what we talked about earlier, where there's no verses in the biblical writings that say the human soul is intrinsically immortal. And so I just want to give you a couple. There's, there's quite a few. A couple of the biblical writings that seem to support this idea. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. It doesn't say the wages of sin is endless misery forever, but death ceasing to exist. But the gift of God is eternal life. Something we're not born with, he gives it to us. Another passage. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life life. So perish, meaning lost or destroyed or ruined. So don't believe, destroyed. Do believe, given eternal life. So some, some arguments for this idea is that it, it satisfies justice. See, sin and rebellion is punished and ultimately destroyed. Justice is ultimately carried out. And the punishment is proportionate to that which is deserved by the individual. They are punished and then they are annihilated. But there's also some good arguments against this idea. First, death still wins, right? Jesus still loses billions of people if those who don't believe in him are annihilated eventually. He creates these people that he loves and then loses billions of them. 
Second, again, why would Jesus tell us to forgive our enemies if ultimately he's just going to destroy his? That doesn't seem right. A traditional argument against this view, annihilationism, is we don't really understand how bad sin is. And so sin against an eternal God necessitates eternal punishment. That's how bad sin is. But then again, what is the point of Jesus? To forgive that horrible sin against God. God himself died to forgive that sin. And so it leads us to a third option, which is Christian universalism. Hell is a temporary purification that will ultimately result in all people being saved. The idea is, ultimately, God's love wins. See, God intends, as, as the Bill Koran says, as Paul wrote, God intends to save every individual, and no opposing power can prevent him from fulfilling his sovereign purpose, because he's God. So those who trust in Jesus in, in this life immediately go to be with him for eternity when they die. But those who don't, they go to hell where they face a time of, of refining, of, of punishment, of instruction, and discipline in who Jesus really is. But ultimately, everyone repents and chooses to bow their knee to Jesus and is saved and restored to our Heavenly Father. So I want to just spend a little bit of time on this because many people who've grown up in our Western culture argue that this idea, really, it's just wishful thinking. I mean, like, of course we want that to be true, but, but Scripture is clear. People who believe in Christian universalism, they don't really take the biblical writings seriously. They just kind of pick and choose what they want. Here's the thing. When we're trying to discern what the biblical writings as a whole teach on a subject, we have to look at the overall themes of the biblical writings and interpret, interpret individual passages in that light. So what is the main theme we see throughout the biblical writings? That God's wanting, wanting to judge us or that God longs to forgive? That God can't wait to smite us or that he did everything he could to save us? The story of the biblical writings shows God's purpose is to restore and reclaim that which has been lost. And this view, Christian universalism, it surprised me too, actually has a lot of support in the biblical writings. I want to give you just actually some of the examples. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? If God loses one, even one person, to hell or to annihilating death, then doesn't death score a victory in some way? Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Usually, everything in the biblical writings means everything. There's more. Philippians 2, 10 through 12, through 11. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, every 
usually means every, every knee will bow, every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We'll talk about that in a second. But wait, there's more. This one's the kicker, and it's always bothered me. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. So Adam sinned. We are all now born into sin. Everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So if we're saying that all become sinners because of Adam's sin, but some are saved because they have the opportunity to believe in Jesus, then aren't we saying that Adam's sin is stronger than Jesus' death and resurrection? See, again, everyone, when it says everyone is saved, everyone usually means everyone. There's another one! And through him, Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He says God reconciled everything to himself, to reconcile, to restore friendly relations between, right? The idea that a she wanted to be reconciled to her father. And Colossians is saying that God reconciled everyone to himself through Jesus. Let me give you two more. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. There it is again. Moving a little bit further in this, in this book. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. That's an interesting passage, because it seems to be saying that believers have a more immediate saving, but God is actually Savior of everyone. And so we could actually say that of people that, that Jesus is their Savior, they, they just don't know it or accept it yet. So how should we interpret these verses? I mean, we can't just like ignore them. For most of my life, I explained them away really as either like exaggerations. Well, Paul's just exaggerating because he's excited. Or, you know, they're, they're talking about everyone having the opportunity to be saved. If we're honest, I don't think we can fairly say that because the biblical writings themselves don't clearly make that point that that's what they're trying to say. So we have some wrestling to do, I believe. Now, there are some arguments against universalism, obviously. And so, Christian universalism. So, the first argument is, so, John, you're just talking about universalism. Like, all paths lead to God. No. It's very clear that eternal life and salvation is, comes only through Jesus. It says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Salvation comes through Jesus. See, what does it require to be saved? If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So why can't that happen in hell? Some people might just take longer than others to admit that. So, John, argument number two, you're just talking about purgatory, right? You're going all Catholic. No, my wife would not appreciate that. Not talking about purgatory. 
talking about hell. People go to hell, but it's to correct, to purify, to, to, to uh, teach them. The purification in hell is not about paying for their sins. Only Jesus can do that. The purifying is, is purifying their will, ridding them of their rebellion so that their knees will bow to Jesus. Because punishment is always seen as corrective, not retributive. The fire of hell, the image of fire in hell, it's not only about destroying, but it's also about purifying and refining. Theologian William Barclay said it this way, The choice is whether we accept God's offer and invitation willingly, or take the long and terrible way around through ages of purification. Argument number three. This is three. Well, what about the judgment? Like, it talks about the judgment. Like, people will be judged. Well, Christian universalism argues that there is a judgment, right? We, people are given rewards and punishment for what they do in life. But, though there is no verse that outright says God will save people after death, there's also nothing that says he won't. And you might argue with this verse. Ooh, I just ripped my Bible. Calm down, John. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. So everyone dies once, and then the judgment. But who's to say what happens after the judgment? Yes, we're judged in re and based on do you get a reward or not, based on what you did in life, but then what happens after the judgment? Why couldn't we be judged and rewarded for our life and then have an opportunity to repent after judgment? Like, what's to stop God if he chooses to do that? Is he all-powerful God or not? If he is, who are we to say what God can't do? In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, God forbid that I should limit the time of acquiring faith to the present life. In the depth of the divine mercy, there may be opportunity to win it in the future. Argument number four. So ultimately, everyone is just forgiven, like Hitler and bin Laden and the worst criminals we can think of. Like, shouldn't God just have victory over evil? Doesn't he, like, destroy evil and, and all that? Well, again, how can Jesus tell us to forgive our enemies if he's not going to do the same thing? So think about this. What makes Jesus' death and resurrection the most powerful? What makes Jesus the ultimate victor of the entire universe for eternity? What makes Jesus the most worthy of worship and love? Losing billions of people to eternal hell or annihilation, or to ultimately have even the worst of the worst repent and come back to him and worship him as king. Number five. Okay, but if we all ultimately end up with Jesus, then why does what we do matter today at all? Why would we even like try to love people and, and follow Jesus? Why don't we just do whatever we want and then we'll go to hell and then repent? Well, first of all, motivation, our motivation for following Jesus isn't fear. It's, it's love of our victorious king and what he did on the cross. That's why I, I don't follow Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. I follow Jesus because I love him for what he did on the cross for me. Second, we get to bring the kingdom of God to earth now. We get to start that eternal life now and bring it to others now. And third, 
Jesus talks about rewards, that there are rewards for following him in this life. I wouldn't mind having some of those. Fourth, we get to enjoy now the, the joy of, of life, a life lived with him and for him. We don't have to live this life alone. We get to live with him, being with us, and have purpose in our life now by living for him. It's an incredible privilege of, of walking with Jesus, of being used by him to bring that same privilege and joy to others here and now. In fact, hell is not a major teaching point or a tool for Jesus or the apostles in the New Testament writings. They use something other than terror to motivate people to follow Jesus. Because the good news of Jesus isn't that a heavenly judge wants to punish sinners. It's that our heavenly Father wants to embrace his children. So, with all of that, we can say that out of these main three ideas of hell, none of them are heretical. We can believe any of these, even maybe a mix of them, and still be a full, loving Jesus follower. But it's important to understand why we believe what we believe. Because what we believe and why we believe ultimately dictates how we live. Jesus and the biblical authors said that hell is real. And we have been offered eternal life. We've been offered an eternal relationship with Jesus that can start now and last forever. So, before you decide what you believe about hell, I think you need to decide what you will do with that offer. And so my question to you is this. First, what will you do with Jesus' offer of eternal life? Will you look into it? Will you consider it? Will you say, well, does this make sense or not? Will you accept it? And then, once you answer that question, then ask the questions we covered in the first episode. And we can ask these questions about hell. Why do I believe what I believe about hell? Why do I believe this? Then, what do all the educated sides say? Have I investigated the different views? And then finally, what has been the result of these beliefs, of this belief? Does, does one belief create more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control? in me? Or does another one? Which one brings more of the fruits of the Spirit over the others? Which one aligns more with the true character of God and Jesus as revealed in the biblical writings? So, have I bothered you? Have I intrigued you? Do you maybe want to go deeper? I recommend this book. It's called All You Want to Know About Hell by Steve Gregg. Honestly, it, it covers all three views, pros and cons. I think it's great. But, you don't have to take my word for it. The exact nature of hell really is not clearly laid out for us, but we can use what is clear to help us think through it. What is clear? Jesus proved God loves us by conquering sin and death for us. Eternal life is God's free gift to us. Choosing to trust Jesus is how we receive that free gift. And in the end, Jesus will ultimately be victorious. And he offers eternal life now and forever to everyone who believes. This is the message that we have the joy to share. So now, since God loves us, which view of hell seems most likely? Now you get to go explore and discover for yourself. Enjoy.
awesome. Can't wait to dig more into that. It's, it, I mean, I think it's actually a fun topic to learn about. Interesting. Our connect group, we're gonna. I know we're gonna. We are, we talked about it this week, before the week that it was this message. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about this message for we'll sure. Just keep talking about just it. Just keep talking about hell. Yeah, and that's yeah. a great book. It is actually a really good book. And there's a lot of great resources that'll be in the show notes. Mm -hmm. So check out the description or the show notes if you're on YouTube or the podcast. That's right. Yeah. So we just have a few announcements. Mm -hmm. I am going to go quickly. I promised Aaron because there's like three things and one of them is new. So okay. the, I'll go through the two things that aren't new. Okay. Not new. We're meeting February 27th, our in-person gathering. If you've been watching these episodes, you know we're not meeting on Super Bowl Sunday. So don't go over to Gateway Force for Church and expect us to be meeting in person. We won't be there. Okay, so. Wait, we can't say Super Bowl. Oh, sorry, the big, the game. big game. I'll bleep that out. Yeah, yeah we don't have rights. <laughs> um, okay, so that's the first thing. Yeah. Only one gathering in February. The okay. second thing is there's two other gatherings in February if you're in middle school or high school. Ooh. Yeah, so Youth <laughs> Connect is starting back up in February. We're really excited. Um, so we've got a few leaders that are gonna be leading these youths through some fun and the some youths. games. It's not a youth group, it's a connect group, yeah. and there's gonna be some connecting. There's gonna be dinner. It's on the first and third Sundays. There's information in the show notes. If you've got a middle schooler, high schooler, they are more than welcome. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, and you wanna help, because you're like, hey, how can I help make this happen? There's plenty of ways for you to plug in if you don't have kids or you aren't a kid, and that is donate money toward renting the space. We have an Amazon wish list of things that mm. the youths need to have a creative, fun space to be welcomed yeah. into. So there's an Amazon wish list. Um, or you can provide food. Are like dodgeballs on that list, maybe? Uh, no. But okay. they should be. So I'm going fast, remember? So in-person gathering February 27th, Youth Connect is happening. Yeah. And then our February for Salem Challenge. It's new. What's it's new? It's new. Beep, 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 beep. New. Uh, we oh, are. That's cool. It's gonna be like a maybe, like a new. You're like, slowing me down. Sorry, this is my fault. I take full responsibility. It, we are adopting Avamir, which is a senior care facility in Salem, mm -hmm. um, and we are going to be providing clothing for the the guests there because sometimes they want to go to appointments and they don't have the proper clothing to wear. Mm -hmm. So we are looking for men's and women's pants that would be appropriate to wear to an appointment. So like comfortable um, jeans, maybe elastic pants with mm -hmm. uh, the corduroy or, you know, nice for um, seniors. So sizes medium through extra large for pants. And then the men especially would like some sweaters, sizes mm -hmm. medium to extra large. And then also tops for women. We'll have information in the show notes, but you can help by, you can buy some really nice used clothing, or maybe you have clothing at your house that you are no longer needing. These individuals, this is a great way to be for your neighbor, is to donate clothing. We're collecting all the clothing on February 27th. Mm -hmm. So gather it up. One stop. Fold shop. it up, One put time. it in a box, and then bring it to Cross Creek. Uh, if you have questions, there will be information in the show notes and on our website. But thank you for being for our seniors in February. Yes, indeed. All right, that's it. We that did it. Great. Now we get to talk about these questions. This yes. is the part we've been waiting for. Yes. Shouldn't God have victory over evil? Well, again. Hey, Commodore. 